You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. I thought science was about the pursuit of truth and uh, asking questions about life and trying to answer them, and I've tried to stick to that pretty much my whole career. Biotechnologist Dr. J. Craig Venter. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. So can a guy who just barely graduated from high school go on to become one of the 100 most influential people in the world? Well, it doesn't happen every day, but that is a very short version of the life of Dr. J. Craig Venter, who led the first draft sequence of the human genome. Venter founded Celera Genomics, which found itself in a very public race with the International Human Genome Project to create that map. And by summer of 2000, Venter's team at Celera Genomics had won the race. Venter himself was a VIP guest at a big, elaborate White House ceremony featuring President Clinton, British Prime Minister Tony Blair, the ambassadors of several countries, a host of dignitaries. On that day, Venter said this. Today, June 26, in the year 2000, marks a historic point in the 100,000-year record of humanity. We are announcing today for the first time our species can read the chemical letters of its genetic code. Venter was hailed worldwide as one of the top leaders in the scientific field. In 2007, Venter wrote his autobiography, a book called A Life Decoded. And that's when I met him. So here now, from 2007, Dr. J. Craig Venter. You observe early on in this book that an autobiography usually is an author's attempt to discover what there is about themselves and to learn about themselves, that really gives the title of this book a double meaning, does it not? This is what you're about in two different respects. Well, in fact, I described it as four autobiographies in one. So it's a, uh, it's a science biography, it's a true life uh, story and chronology, it's a sailing biography, and perhaps most importantly, a uh, description of the six billion base pairs of my genome in there at the same time, trying to mix and match and put it all in context. Now, of course, you were the straight-A student in school who always knew from day one he was going to be a scientist, right? Quite the opposite. Uh, I I was at the bottom of the ladder. I really disliked school intensely. I spent all my time doing anything but uh, homework and paying attention in school. I built boats. I went surfing. I raced airplanes at the airport on my bicycle. Uh, I took part in competitive swimming, um, but not academics. I barely graduated from high school. I got a D minus instead of an F in a government class. The only reason I graduated is I wrote a paper saying Barry Goldwater should be president, uh, and I knew that I had a very right-wing uh, professor. So, Well, maybe in that case, thank heaven for the Navy. <laughs> Absolutely. I got drafted off my uh, surfboard. I left home at 17 and moved to Southern California to take up surfing, and uh, uh, nobody told me about student deferments and uh, <laughs> Uh, there, there was a reason people were in college besides education. Um, but I got drafted into the Army, uh, encouraged to list in the Navy, ended up in the uh, Navy Medical Corps, uh, treating infectious disease, uh, then ended up in Vietnam as a uh, corpsman. Uh, and the combination of all those things really turned me on to science and medicine. Uh, I learned I u- had unique skill sets, and one of the nice things with military medicine, you can do whatever you're capable of because there's no uh, lawsuits. Uh, so at 19, I was teaching uh, uh, spinal co- spinal taps and doing liver biopsies and uh, running a 500-patient ward. Now, do you ever look back on that thing and say, wow, how close I came to wasting my life? 
Well, it's uh, one of the things I talk about is uh, getting out of Vietnam and getting out of there with my life. I felt that it was an incredible gift because uh, I faced uh, and dealt with death all year long for so many of young men my age uh, and was determined to make something out of my life after that point. Now I want to skip ahead a little bit to, to once you actually begin scientific work. So many of us still have that. I guess, seventh grade image of a scientist in a white lab coat looking studiously through a microscope or peering into a Petri dish. And the scientist in that picture never seems to worry much about the funding or the politics or the business side of it. Did you have an idealized image of what a scientist was to be that you had to throw out somewhere along the way? Well, fortunately, I had no idea whatsoever. Uh, not paying attention in school helped a lot. Uh, so I didn't know what I was getting into. I was just fascinated. I was introduced to uh, science as an undergraduate uh, for the first time. I uh, made a breakthrough proving that adrenaline worked on the surface of cells and published my first paper uh, in the scientific literature as an undergraduate. was given my own research lab and I was just, I thought science was about the pursuit of truth and uh, asking questions about life and trying to answer them. And I've tried to stick to that pretty much my whole career, but all those other things clearly come into it. Well, there is a purity of purpose in what you were doing. Well, it's, uh, it really is the one discipline uh, that is after the truth about the universe. Uh, and with biology, that's a lot more complicated and uh, uh, but also a lot more exciting. I mean, I've I've been able to take part in some most exciting scientific discoveries uh, with my teams over the last uh, couple of decades. Well, some of the most significant projects probably in the history of mankind. Well, I won't go that far. Uh, fortunately, my critics go that far. But, uh, <laughs> but I think uh, it is important to read the genetic code. Um, this September, we published the first complete uh, human genome sequence, and now we can see how different we are. We're 1% to 2% different as uh, individuals. Uh, and that's pretty exciting as we try to look how to prevent disease, understand evolution. Uh, it's an exciting time. After this short break, Dr. Venter, is it nature or is it nurture? Now back to my 2007 interview with Dr. J. Craig Venter. The deeper I got into your book, the more clear it seemed that it would be a huge mistake to try to figure out why everybody is a certain way based on their genome. I mean, it, it really does. Your book really does help prove it's nature and nurture, isn't it? Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad you got that out of it. I tried hard. Um, well, trying to refute this notion that we are uh, based on genetic determinism. That's what the fear that so many people had, uh, and that's why uh, people were afraid to have their genome deciphered. Uh, and so I try to prove, in fact, that we're equal uh, nature and nurture. Each trait will have a different balance of that, but we'll know that pretty precisely over the next decade as we go to do ten thousands of human genomes. Well, perhaps someday I'll learn that I have a, 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 an obesity gene, but it might be just as likely as it was all those Twinkies I ate when I was in my 20s. <laughs> so, somehow they uh, can go together and uh, make things even worse sometimes, but uh, uh, I was a Twinkie fan myself. So, Did you find things out about yourself that you would really rather have not known? Uh, not really. I, I think it's all fascinating because, in fact, uh, even risk genes uh, and changes that give us risk for certain diseases, I, I don't view them as a uh, absolute that means I'm going to get those diseases. So while I have a risk for cardiovascular disease and Alzheimer's disease, 
It certainly makes me more aware of those things, but it gives us, I view them as opportunities. They're a chance to take more control of our own lives and see if we can alter what might be an extreme, a genetic destiny. We can, we can beat the odds now. When you talk about what people fear from the work that you've done, is there also a fear that someday they'll hold out the promise of a cure for some horrible disease or some prevention for some horrible disease, but only if you got $25,000 for it? Uh, well, the, it's a problem with modern-day medicine. It does cost a lot to treat disease. In fact, that's where I think this has perhaps more promise than anything else. If we can prevent diseases... Uh, it changes the cost of health care quite substantially and, and is the only thing that I see on the horizon that could actually lower health care costs. So I, I think it gives people control over their own lives. Um, the cost of getting genomes, we hope within five years, to be less than $1,000. Uh, so it will be pretty broadly accessible. That that's, doesn't make it universally accessible, but uh, I think insurance companies and medical care uh, will demand uh, that we have that information in the future because it's going to be powerful in helping us plan our lives and prevent diseases we might otherwise discover only uh, by happenstance. Well, also on that day at the White House in June of 2000, uh, when you spoke, you addressed the fear that people have that the information could be used to discriminate against certain people. Do you still share that fear? Well, it's not a fear. It's a concern because there's such misunderstandings over this information that most discrimination is not based on intelligence. It's based on prejudice or fear. We don't want employers to use this information against uh, to discriminate against uh, employees. Uh, we may want insurance companies to use it intelligently uh, so they understand how to prevent a disease and pay for preventative treatments. Uh, but there's been a bill pending in Congress for almost a decade now. The, it's passed the Senate, has a couple hundred co-sponsors in how, the House, the genetic non-discrimination bill that I think needs to get passed at least till we get through this era and can get to a common understanding in society what the information means and what it doesn't. Your work has now taken you to the oceans. We've uh, applied the same techniques uh, we developed for shotgun sequencing in the human genome to try and understand the environment around us and have made an amazing number of discoveries uh, uh, every 200 miles in the ocean, about 40,000 new species. But every 200 miles, 85% of them are unique, uh, showing the ocean's not a giant homogeneous mixture. And we're now trying to use that knowledge to come up with new organisms, new species that can uh, be used to produce energy, uh, hydrogen from sunlight, uh, uh, methane uh, from coal, uh, to actually replace gasoline and taking uh, oil and coal out of the ground, uh, we have a chance to do that biologically. Dr. J. Craig Venter is 75 now. He lives in California. Oh, and by the way, he eventually found out why he did so poorly in school. Turns out when he analyzed his own DNA, he has a marker for ADHD. And you can find easy Amazon links to Dr. J. Craig Venter's book on our website, HeardEverything.com. And while you're at HeardEverything.com, be sure to listen to my interview with one of the men who was in the audience that day, 22 years ago at the White House, the man who discovered the double helix structure of DNA, Dr. James Watson. I didn't want to just be known for the double helix. You know, so before I made the discovery, no one thought I was going anywhere. And afterwards, I certainly know into nowhere. And since we're also now talking about the oceans, be sure and listen to my interview with one of the world's great oceanographers, Dr. Robert Ballard. The ocean is, has such incredible moods. It can be beautiful and violent and moody and 
And it's actually very, it's, I think it, it's, it's the manifestation of what makes Earth so wonderful. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, with the third leg of horse racing's Triple Crown coming up in a few days, the Belmont Stakes, we'll revisit my 2008 interview with the jockey who rode Barbaro to victory in the Kentucky Derby back in 06, Edgar Prado. I think he really bring, bring, gave me the biggest thrill of my career. That's why I kind of fall in love with him. But I really fall in love with him before he won the Derby, you know? That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.